Hey, welcome back to another episode. And we want to pick up on where we left off last time talking about the cash flow quadrant. Woohoo! Cash flow quadrant, baby. Classic. It seems like one of those things feel like everyone should have read the book or yeah, heard of the book. Just pause Follow up book to Rich Dad Poor Dad. But then I feel like most people have never read the book or heard of the book. Oh, or really? It's kind of a weird phenomenon. You know, it's one of those weird things. You know, we find value in it. We think it's important. And so we're going to talk about it. Is Kiyosaki going to come and give us his two cents too? Maybe uh-huh. at a later episode? Who knows? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe we'll get him two on the cents? podcast. You're in the employee quadrant at two cents. Right. Two cents. Oh, there, there you go. go. Well, well, well played. One cent taken back for taxes. One cent. Oh, no. Down to one cent. That's Shai, why you what don't, will I be saying if I'm in the investor quadrant? That's why you don't want to be there. I think what we're going to do is paint the picture here and let and you tell me what you think each person in each quadrant is. So a guy has a million dollars. He's got two houses he wants to fix up. They both need about $30,000 in work. And he has the question of getting some money out of his bank account. He needs to pick up a bunch of supplies at Home Depot. And what do you think about the way he goes about his daily activities? What does it look like in each one of those quadrants? Ooh, so the investor guy... Has money. He has about a million dollars, and he has two properties he's going to be working on. About thirty thousand uh, dollars fix up on each property, and he's going to go about his daily activity from week to week for the next couple months before he actually sells the house. So he's not going to have anything to do with going to Home Depot, or even probably care who goes to Home Depot, as long as the money, the numbers are adding up at the last report. Yeah. So the this- last check in. Yeah, so this guy's got a million dollars, so he is an investor. He's He can be in the investor quadrant. He can stay in the investor quadrant if he does things right, if he values his time correctly. So as Ron Legrand would say, you just write checks. That's what you do with your time is you just write checks. And what he would basically say is what you would be doing is you would be writing checks to contractors to go to Home Depot to go pick up the supplies. Oh, cool. And Or they would be buying it on the... Uh, credit card, and then you would be reimbursing them. Either one of those would work, but that is not something you want to spend your time on looking at different faucets. And it's a lower level activity. It's more in the employee self-employed quadrant. Okay. Um, and so, that's not something you would do if you had a million dollars. What you want to do is you want to write a check to close on the property to buy it, maybe with cash, or you would want to possibly be at the closing when it closes or you may just be there when the direct deposit comes or the wire comes from the bank or from the title company and they send it in your account. You want to make sure that you're not losing money along the way. You want to work on a high level on the property and you want to talk about timelines along the way. You want to talk about budgets along the way. You are the money guy because you are in the investor quadrant. But one thing we talk about a lot is opportunity cost. And this is where we ties in to help people understand why as an investor, when you have that kind of cash base and cash flow coming in, that writing a check is the most profitable and most efficient way for you to invest your time and money. Because what you want, you really want to have a competent teams and partners that is able to execute on these uh, lower level tasks. So yes. you can continue to take on meetings, assess new opportunities, and continue to write more checks. If versus if you just end up taking your time, start running around to the local hardware store, start thinking about faucet, which one to buy, how much money am I going to save? All of a sudden, you're spending a very valuable time 
on very low level, low dollar activities. Ron so Legrand's energy famous, shift. Yeah, Ron Legrand's famous quote is, the less I do, the more I make. And you have to just think about that a little bit. Because if you're constantly thinking more like a Tim Ferriss from the four-hour work week, how can I do less? How can I write more checks? How can I delegate more? How can I hire the operational and project manager part to somebody else? Right. So the thing is, there's no right and wrong. Like, let's say you're an employee. We don't want you to think that it's a bad thing yeah, exactly. or that something wrong with you or whoever's in it or not working hard enough, not doing the right thing in life. But that's just like economy, you know, there's an ecosystem. Yeah. You just need all of them. But what we are talking to you and folks that are looking to get more out of their time and money is that we want you to understand you have to migrate. You have to shift the paradigm, up, right? Shift the paradigm from employee all the way to an investor mindset. It's even a way though, of thinking. Right. Even though if you don't have a million dollar, $2 million cash to dump into real estate investing projects right now, by learning how to think like that will allow you to understand how investors look at their time and money. And then you're going to start to understand how to work with them better and how to pitch your opportunity better. Yeah. You know, what's interesting about it. I was just thinking of an example, think about paradigm shift here and different way of thinking, you think of your lifestyle and, you know, if somebody, you know, had their own house and they're finishing the basement, it wouldn't really seem like a bad idea to go with your family and your kids to have a fun activity to go to Home Depot and go shop for the bathroom faucet and the really cool faucets. Let's look at it with my kids and right. let's, you know, go look for new bathtubs and new cool toilets and all that stuff. And you do that with your kids. That's something that's fun to do. Then you get home and you're finishing your basement, maybe after work. You're saving some money. You're maybe you enjoy the process and you're there with your kids talking to them while you're doing it. That's different. That makes sense. But if you're in but business, it's also, to make it's money, also personal. It's very personal. And it's something that you get to enjoy, your family get to enjoy and use. You're not on the time clock. There's it's, no rush. Right. In the business world, when you're working on a different investment property, you're most likely not with your family. It is all about timelines. It is all about staying within budget. It is all about operational and project management and sworn construction statements and itemized numbers. And this needs to be done by this amount of time. And I'm going to pay this amount to the contractor by this amount of time. And they're going to sign off on it and so forth. So going over to the business owner quadrant in this particular scenario, what kind of activities would they be doing then? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, uh, I think I'd like to have David elaborate on it too, but I would I would say if you're doing one rehab, you're probably in the business as the investor, you're in, in the business quadrant uh, as the operational project manager doing a lot of it yourself. If you're doing, if you've got a lot of uh, money and you've got a lot of deals and you're doing six deals at one time, you might be hiring somebody else to be the operational person. And that's your business activity is not actually being on site as the general contractor. You're probably hiring some general contractor uh, to take on the operational role in the project management of the six properties. Maybe you're still as an investor vacationing or doing something else with your family. But if you don't have enough properties and the numbers aren't big enough and scalable in your company, you're probably doing it yourself inside of your company. So you have to wear a lot of hats in the early days as you're elevating up the quadrants. One thing to look at is an employee is someone pays you for your time. And then as a self-employed, a lot of times you're paying yourself for your time. Okay. I think the nuance of distinction, because when you start moving up to a business, it's really you're managing people to produce the revenue, to do the work. Okay. So your job essentially is making sure people are doing what they need to do. And you're taking care of people and you're managing the money coming in. 
So everybody gets paid. And then more and more projects you can do, the more time you put into it, the bigger your business gets. Then all of a sudden, the number of projects you do, the size of the projects you do goes bigger and bigger. Your job is not out there doing the, the faucet change for someone else. You're not out there doing faucet changes for your own property. That would be self-employed. You know, you're making sure your team member, your handyman are out there changing the faucet on that particular property yeah. so that the property can be sold or rented out. And then you are making money on, on the revenue side. And then you come around paying them as your employees. And you, and you might not want to over communicate either in that if your time is very valuable as in the investor quadrant, if the person is saying, you know, this faucet doesn't fit right, it doesn't look right. Now we're talking about the subcontractor or somebody in the employee, whatever. Faucet doesn't look right. This is 20 or $40 faucet. The $50 one's going to be a big difference. You should probably have some kind of communication where you give them an approval to spend an extra $10 or something like that. They shouldn't need to talk to you on the phone for 10 minutes about something like that. Yeah. I mean, that's a, well, that's a oh, great yeah. point. You know, I think people struggle with that is because yeah. most of them I find don't have that consistent relationship with their subcontractors or employees or handyman. And also the other way around, sometimes they're yeah. not trustworthy, right? Absolutely. To earn that kind of working relationship to know, oh yeah, hey, if I'm going to send you know, you out there to go get something, I'm going to trust that you're going to do the real best, make the best judgment and understanding the business, right? If you think that getting spent $10 extra for a faucet, that's going to make my bathroom or the kitchen, whatever, look 10 times better. So that could be a difference of making another $100, $200 a month on rent, even selling the home for a couple more thousand dollars. That's a well-spent 10 bucks upgrade. It's typically the kitchen and the bathroom is where the most money is made. Right. Um, so, so, but the thing is, I think most people that are in the business side or in pseudo investors, they end up doing it on their own because they don't trust someone else to make that good decision. Yeah, I would. And so, you I know, so agree. they feel like they have to hold on to every decision, every penny, and they're like, "I'm just gonna go do it myself." Yeah, absolutely. And what's also important too to understand is, uh, you know, the basement square footage is not not always necessarily makes you money. And when you are used to doing stuff yourself in your own house, you're typically gonna have a nicer, upgraded type of stuff that uh, you emotionally are into. You might buy the really expensive toilet. You might buy the really whatever. But when the when the rehabbers are out there making money with their properties, um, you don't you don't want to shortcut things. I mean, you want to fix stuff so that you don't get in trouble someday. But at the same time, you don't want to overdo stuff. Like yeah, you might, like they know how to pick and choose. We really are going to invest in a good faucet because we know it's huge. But as far as the yeah, like, like for example, if you're buying like a two hundred thousand dollar home in like an older part of Minneapolis, you're not going to buy a four hundred dollar faucet. It just doesn't make sense. Buy a forty dollar faucet. You're not going to buy two thousand dollar windows. You might maybe there's a way to get them for two hundred fifty bucks. I don't know. Yeah, but you're gonna you're going to do it according. But but I've seen it the other way too. Is like back in the crash 2007 or whatever, the builders, they, what they used to do on like the $400,000 homes, they'd be get really cheap on the fixtures and stuff. So they'd be like, this is a big home. Wow. I mean, the price makes sense. It's a big, huge house, but then they went cheapy on all the fixtures. And it's like, this is going to be like a house that a end consumer is going to live in. That is, uh, I'm glad you brought it up because that was such a common thing back then. Yeah. In because Arizona or in Minnesota? I think everywhere what happened to square footage of the home gets bigger and bigger. And most people that don't, that traditionally couldn't afford three, 4,000 square foot homes, now they can. But the, the trade-off is that home didn't cost you a million dollars. It costs you three hundred fifty, four hundred thousand dollars $400,000. Well, guess what? 
You have to upgrade all it, it's the cost on, on quality material, right? So we're seeing sightings. I drive by these homes. Yeah. People bought move in and, and you're like, Well, gosh, how do you how can you afford three, four thousand square foot home, right? And then you look at okay, it's a little bit outside of town. Then you look at a construction of the home. You're driving up like sightings are not even uh, flushed up together. It, oh my all of a sudden, gosh. you just go, okay, you're going to have construction problems. I've heard a lot of stories. Yep. You're going to have Tie quality problems. Tie backwards. And right. And then, Bear Path community. The, Bear Path? What about it? They, have, like like Tyvek was put on backwards. The what's Tyvek? The person would come up. The, the part you put on before the siding. I'm not an expert on it, but it's the part before the siding with the weatherproofing. And then they're like, this house is going to be floating on water in a couple of years. They're like, there are a lot of shortcuts here. Expensive $800,000 homes. Right. So I these wonder, are the things that were finding the right handyman right? Contractors, right? Really seasoned people that I think makes a huge difference because, you know, at the end of the day, we're never going to disagree with the fact that all we're trying to do is make your dollar go further, right? More bang for the buck. There's just different ways going about it. Having that kind of uh, authority for a contractor, that's really good. They're going to do miracle for you. Yep, and then sure. people that inexperience or don't care, they're just going to go, Hey boss, I just save you, you know, 20 bucks. But then all of a sudden, like you were saying, Ron, I mean, the faucet can leak again in six months or your tenant would be complaining if it's a rental. Oh, the, and so this, you know, yeah, there's a lot of just variables. The faucet's going to leak and you're going to have to fix it for 20 bucks with the handyman. And you're like maybe when it rains. your $50 faucet's still fine, but the water went through the floor that now went through the ceiling, which means you have to re drywall and pull it apart and repop with the ceiling and all that kind of stuff. And, that costs a lot of money, so you can't afford to make those mistakes. Right? That's so, real estate. Yeah, so you really have to know, That's you know, ridiculous. where you can save money and where it's just not worth going the ultra cheap, Shortcuts, you know, cheap yeah. shortcut way. Not worth it because he's going to get you right. And so I this, feel like it would be so good to know if you're in that business with like all like the really good brands and what their value. Well, I think that's the thing. You talk to some people that are really great. They know exactly where to go get stuff, how yeah. to buy things. That what they get by, they can buy high quality products through different channels, right? Yeah, they like know, those they old know, restoration types of places in the North Loop, where they sell all old, like huge architectural buildings. That are, I know some people get particular in cabinets too. That can yeah, happen like light fixtures and um, yeah, but those are becoming more and, unique, right? So that's yeah. more time consuming. Are you rehabbing right. a $400,000 home or $150,000 home you're renting out for $800 a month? Great rehabbers or contractors or handyman, they know auction sites. They know where they can go and keep track to know, oh, there's a shipment of these high-end toilets coming in because for some reason it wasn't sold, it was over-purchased. Now they need to dump it. So you might be able to get them for 50 cents on the dollar. You know, and all of a sudden you're spending even the same amount of money or maybe a little bit more, but all of a sudden your fixtures, you know, floorings or whatever in your property had just shot up the value of the home to go up by additional 10 labor costs and the, cons yep. Right? Those have been going up a lot. Lately. So when we look at the numbers, lumber, lumber oh, and labor costs are lumber, way up. Yeah. So whenever the lumber price goes up and tariff issue tariff people don't realize that. that even started way before just, this other yeah stuff. i talked about that two days ago remember yeah this even started <laughs> as far back as a year ago or 10 months ago and all of a sudden your your home construction price started rising up and then what you were able to get let's say six months ago and you think you're going to get a nice 20 percent profit on the deal all of a sudden that can you roll down to 15 to 10 percent really quick and all of a sudden you start trying to make a decision. Where do I find, how do I save some money on that? 
right? the time of this recording in August 2018, there's a tremendous shortage in the labor force right now. And uh, you got to pay more wages to get people nowadays. So it costs more from a human capital side. Yep. It costs more on the lumber side. And then which- Those are the two really big costs right now. So most home builders, they're a little slow right now. They know that there's a huge demand in the $250,000 to $300,000 price point based on people's wages right now. And they are actually not able to justify doing building homes, the starts, as they say, um, much under $400,000. It just doesn't make sense for them based on the labor costs and all the supply costs, everything else. So the challenge is there's only so many people that can afford the homes over $400,000. So there's a real, and there, that's another challenge that you see with the, and this gets back into rehabbers with multifamily homes nowadays, like the hundred unit buildings and stuff, because what's actually happening is some people are saying, go invest in the 50 unit buildings and stuff because they're older buildings and the cost of construction isn't getting any cheaper. So they can't afford to build those 50 and hundred unit buildings like they used to for the same kind of price. So buy some of those older ones that need to be fixed up that are a hundred years old. And there's a lot of opportunity. You know, that example we just gave with the rehabbing, I mean, it probably not a bad idea to work yourself up the ladder and elevate through the quadrants. So in the beginning, you're probably going to need some guaranteed income with the employee quadrant. And then you're going to um, learn about estimating properties and about the numbers and how to not make mistakes in the self-employed quadrant. And then you're eventually going to be able to do it on your own and do your very first fix up and you'll get to be in the business quadrant. And you're going to fix up so many properties, make so much money that you'll get to be that hard money lender and be the investor that we talk about in some of the other shows. And that's how you work your way up and elevate your way up, climb the ladder through the different quadrants. Well, I think that's some real good stuff right there. And make sure you guys subscribe and follow, follow, follow and get that notification turned on. So next time when we hop on the show, you're not going to miss any. Ron, our deal architect, yep. just like he's got an endless of uh, ways for you to structure deals. So if you guys have any questions or projects that you're working on, you know, need some help, want to have a second advice, make sure you reach out to us. Send us the details. Send us inf- enough information yeah. that we can work with. Yeah, not just two bits of information. We right. need, you know, probably eight or ten bits of information. And so we'd be glad to talk about your case online or maybe we'll reach out to you privately and give you guys some tips and, uh, and help you make that win. Yeah.